The Sisu Way with Scott McGee, episode 34. Adversity is a gift with Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. When we are no longer able to change the situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. You see folks, it's not freedom from adversity, but it is freedom, the power, the choice, and the gift to take a stand and lean into your adversity. This is The CC Way, a show about grit, character, gratitude, service, and what it means to choose strength. I'm Scott McGee, a mindful warrior on a path of gratitude and service who loves to connect with unconquerable souls. In the opening were quotes from Victor Frankl from Man's Search for Meaning that I slightly altered a little bit. Uh, and if you don't know, he was a Austrian neurologist, psychiatrist, and Holocaust survivor, um, devoted his life to studying, understanding, and promoting meaning. His famous book, Man's Search for Meaning, is a must-read, in my opinion. One of the things he covered is man's pursuit of meaning. And he says there are three different courses of action in this pursuit. Through deeds, the experience of some kind of medium, or suffering. Responding to life and to be responsible to life through your own decisions is the essence of, ex- is essence of is existence. Excuse me. In the face of adversity, there are things that can't be taken from us, our attitude and effort. And as my guest Marcus likes to say, adversity is a gift. Now Marcus is an author, a TEDx speaker, and mindset coach who, while preparing to deploy with the U.S. Army, suffered a severe spinal injury that left him paralyzed from the neck down. His life was turned upside down, and after dying twice on the operating table, he was told he would never be able to walk or use his hands again. He discovered he was left with two choices. He could either be a victim or change his mindset and become a victor. Having no other option, he began looking for any lessons to be learned from his injury and soon discovered that his setback was a gift. Now, before we begin, uh, I'd like to know a few things. Um, it sounded like from, from listening to podcasts and, and, and studying you, if you will, it sounds like your, this part of your life began at a, at a later stage of life. Uh, it sounds like the part of your life or the, the, the butterfly to your caterpillar, uh, if you will, started around the age of 40. So before that, if you don't mind, just prior to that incident, who were you? Yeah, there's, there's a lot to that. I led a little bit of a life before I got into the military. I joined the military at 38. Some of the setup, I started doing martial arts when I was 11. So a lot of those ethos were kind of built into me. And then one of my biggest role models was my great uncle who was um, in Vietnam and special forces. And between he and my father and then the, the tenets of martial arts that really kind of bred everything that I do. I started studying criminal justice initially once I got out of high school, wanted to go into some sort of alphabet job, if you will. And as I got into that, I realized that 
that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm always going to be out trying to find the bad guy. I might be behind a computer trying to find fraudulent activity. That didn't seem to be very exciting for me. While, while I was preparing to fight, I had an injury in my shoulder and a chiropractor saw me trying to do a lateral raise and obviously it was pretty grotesque and he looks at me and he says, how long has that been hurting? I said, you know, for a while and he sends, gives me his card, tells me that, you know, he can fix it. And I was like, oh, a chiropractor, you know, you guys are smoking mirrors, voodoo doctors and all the, all those things. He says, if I don't fix you, you don't have to pay me. I'm like, I'll see you Monday, doc. And adjust my spine. Um, I had a shoulder. My humerus was anterior and inferior from all those punches because you're doing basically small dislocations every time you throw a punch in the air. So he said it sounds like a 12 gauge going off and immediately almost a full range of motion pains dissipated tremendously. And I was like, okay, how did you know how to do that? How'd you know that was a problem? And what did you do? He says, let's go, let's go have lunch. I'm, I'm done. You're my last patient for the afternoon. We start talking the holistic mentality of, very much reflected the martial arts, the idea of the, bo the body being a self-regulating organism. If you allow it to heal and you remove the obstruction, it will do so. And there are a lot of correlations. So I thought, this is pretty amazing. And as we were speaking, he says, you'd make a great chiropractor. I was like, all right. Do I just take like a seminar? What, what is it? And he's like, no, it's a doctorate. So I have to go 180 from criminal justice into taking or basic organic chemistry, neurology, biology. So I took a couple of steps back but I'm not afraid to take steps back as long as it's going to lead forward. Went to chiropractic school in Kansas City. Um, liked the school, but the, some of the philosophy wasn't really in, in the same kind of direction I wanted to go. Went to another school in Atlanta, better school, but again, took steps back, lost some education, lost some credit for education, as it were. While I was there, I was going to school, and I was bartending as well. Um, had just gotten married, newly married. So I'm working 40 hours a week in a bar. I'm taking 25 hours of doctorate level courses and I'm just trying to push through. I'm trying to finish my last year and a half because we want to start having a family. I want to start doing all these things. But in life, there's what we hope happens. There's what we fear happens. And then there's what happens. So leading up to that, I prioritize the wrong things. We were talking about priorities yesterday and I prioritize my work and my job because I thought that my marriage was secure, but because I didn't do the right things, because I didn't prioritize that, it fell apart. And within those confines is whenever, not long after um, my marriage fell apart, I got a call that my great uncle was sick and they said, you know, come home. And that was sort of the, the first level of uh, adversity, if you will, that really kind of put me on the trajectory that I'm, I'm on now. So it sounds, first of all, the, the, um, I almost went to chiropractic school after college. Nice. Because of sports, injuries and stuff. And yeah. kind of had similar experiences where I was helped and I'm like, made everything better. Mm -hmm. uh, and and later on down the line, and it's kind of similar to, you know, fast forward to some of the stuff we'll get into. Um, but if you talk about, say, the kinetic chain, mm -hmm. let's just say take joints from the ankle to the knee to the hip to your SI joint. And, and all the way up if something is there and in inhibiting or or is having some sort of dysfunction how it affects everything else and then that stops you from being able to produce energy as you intend and there to me like 
whether you're aware of it or not, that's probably what you're picking up on. And then fast forwarding now, you, you're, you're doing the same type of thing with leadership and growth. You're finding little spots and you're clearing them so they can um, you know, apply force if, if it's physical or apply energy in a more uh, effective way, more pure way. Uh, more inhibited, uninhibited yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, more connected way. Yeah. Um, so you had like, you're going to school and stuff and, and, and like a lot of people do, we get caught up in what our culture kind of tells us. Like this culture, you're supposed to do this. Uh, you're, you're supposed to even speak English, right? You didn't choose that. You're just, this is where you are. This is where you grew up. These are your, this is your family. This is the stuff that you're going to be exposed to young. Um, you don't necessarily have the awareness of other things. Um, was there certain things that your, that your uncle taught you that still resonate now? Oh, yeah, there's so much. Um, there's a story that I talk about in my book, um, but you know, I'm 11 years old. Um, it's cold outside. It's in the Midwest. It's in Oklahoma. So it's not as cold as say like upstate New York, but it's still cold and miserable. And I've got my hands by the fireplace trying to get warm. He's like, grab your gear. We're going. We get in the vehicle. We walk out to the, our place and the blind that we have is about 15 minutes from where we stopped. So it goes from raining to sleeting. So by the time I get there as a little boy, I'm a cold, shivering mess. And he looks down at me as I'm freezing, trying to pour my hot tea and trying to drink it. And I'm pouring it all over myself. He looks down. And he's like, are you cold? I look up at my uncle and I was like, yeah, I'm cold. And he's drinking his joe and he's looking at the wood line. I was like, aren't you cold, uncle? He's like, I'm cold too. He says, but I'm going to give you a secret. As I was mentioning before, he was in special forces. He was in Vietnam, recon, long range reconnaissance, lurched. And I only now I'm beginning to understand what that meant because at a young age, he's not going to tell me that. But everybody in my family had this very tremendous amount of respect. You know, they loved him very much. And he was a lifer, so he did his 20 years. And while he was very happy to, to do what he needed to for his country, he still wanted to just kind of move on with his life thereafter. And so I can only imagine the adversity that he went through between fear, between the environment, between the enemy. And he was always the center of the storm. He was the calm. He says, do you think the cold thinks about you? Does it, do you think it even cares about you? And even at 11, I could conceptualize it. And I was like, no, it probably doesn't. He's like, no, it doesn't. He said, so you shouldn't really be worried about it. He said, what you're focused on is the cold, the hardship. What you should be focused on is the hunt, the purpose. He says, because if you get it the other way around, if you're thinking about the cold, whenever there is an opportunity and you try to shoulder your weapon, you will not shoot true. You'll be compromised. You'll hesitate and you'll probably miss. He says, but if you think about the intention of why we're doing this the entire time, you'll understand that the elements don't really matter. You'll understand that anything outside of you does not matter. All that matters right now is to understand your intention. And looking back now, I understand that that was like my first true lesson in stoicism and the semantics of what you call it, whether it be stoicism, Zen, Taoism, mm -hmm. the universal truth is still there. It's, it's relative, it's relevant. And then he also explained to me that he says, so what do you want to do? I mean, you're cold, you're miserable. 
He says, do you want the fireplace or do you want the hunt? And I looked up at him and I said, well, what do you want to do? And he said, well, we're already wet. We're already freezing. We're already out here. He's like, we've already paid the price. He said, so the hunt's always going to be available in front of us if we go out and do it. But he says, but the fireplace is basically like you're giving up and it will always be there to warm you. So it'll warm us whether we get a, anything or not. He said, so why don't we just sit out here for a few more hours? And if we don't see anything, we'll go home. Sound good? And that was all the encouragement that I needed. Now, as you and I understand, if you hunt long enough, you realize that in those kind of conditions that the game is not going to be out either. They're going to be nestled down. They're going to be trying to keep warm. They're not going to be out looking for stuff. But never saw a deer, never saw anything. But what I did gain was that knowledge, that experience. And it, it resonates in everything that I do now. And that purpose is what drives me with, with everything that I'm doing, irrespective of the naysayers, irrespective of what society is saying. And I just drive on with that intention to the best of my capacity. That's like, a, a, um, I mean, everyone has said it, especially in the stoic philosophy of understanding that you don't have power over external events, only over your own thoughts. That's it. By the way, just the idea of sitting there by the fire and not doing anything, I was like, just internally got a little irritated because of the strive for discomfort and not right. like the goal, not of discomfort, maybe it is discomfort, but, but seeking, um, the challenge, right. And seeking, it's not like, yes, you're seeking adversity, right. But it's not necessarily just the adversity you're seeking. It's the adaptation, right? It's not adversity for the, for adversity's sake. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. It's the, the that adaptation. And I had the same, uh, so for the listeners, Marcus, um, was the, the keynote speaker for the, to kick us off to do Murph uh, Memorial Day at Oak Park um, at CrossFit LA, Kenny Kane's gym. And so he gave his, uh, gave his talk and then the whole gym in heats did the workout. And afterwards, um, to bring it like full circle in a small little way, uh, I was sitting down um, and Jack Osborne was there. Mm-hmm. We were sitting down afterwards and he, he was asking me about the plate carrier. Mm-hmm. like oh what's it like you know was it harder with that i'm like dude like let me ask you a question when you're working out you're wearing a t-shirt right and he's like yeah are you thinking about your t-shirt or that's just a thing that's there yeah so I, I was like trying to explain i was like the vest i'm not allowing it to have ownership of my thoughts i'm not allowing it to be a thing i'm not allowing it to like make me feel bad i'm not allowing it to turn me into a victim it's there my goal here is to do the workout and do it well and do it with the community. And so we decide what takes weight and what takes up rent in our own minds. That's absolutely true. But part of that, right? Again, it, it takes, and this is, this will be a little, a little bit of a theme on, and also what I mentioned in the intro on what it takes for that stuff to actually become aware of in your thoughts. Right. And so I've talked about self-awareness so you can self-regulate. Because not everyone, you know, gets paralyzed, right? Not everyone passes away on the operating table twice. Not not everybody goes through. I don't say deaths. I think because I think everyone does, but uh, adversity is is relative. Um, our stories are unique, but the struggle is universal, right? And I know that you know that. Um, what do you think your uncle would say 
to you now? I would hope that he would say good job, but I know that there's a part of him, and that was the beautiful thing about it, because he was always able to make me strive for more without it being some, like, knock you over the head with it. So he would probably say, are you doing enough? Are you using your time wisely enough? You claim that you want to help as many people as you can with your message. Are you doing that? So that was like, like even for a podcast, you and I understand that a podcast is, there's a lot to it. And for a long time I was resistant to it, but I realized I had some self-reflection and I realized the same thing. If I'm really claiming to try to help as many people as I can, and I go out and do a keynote speech, that's great. I may, sp I may speak to 200, 500,000, 2,000 people, but every time I push record on my podcast, there's 30,000 people that listen to me. So if I'm truly wanting to pre practice what I'm preaching, that's what I need to do. And even if it's not convenient, even if it's, there's parts of it that take a lot more time or it's laborious in some capacity, what's the purpose? Am I looking at the hunt or am I looking at the cold? So um, I think he would say, you're, he said, you're doing great, but I think there's more I can do. And that's where that, that, that line is, just like I was talking yesterday where we talked about limits being good and in society where everybody's like, no, there's no limits and I'm limitless. You are, but are you limitless in what? In what degree, at what, at what point, at what cost? Is it worthy of the effort? Do you look at like the, the, your first like 40 years as one part and then this part as like another? Yeah, I absolutely do. The Marcus, the younger, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, because for me, you know, those that don't know my story, I woke up in a bed paralyzed on my birthday, like 40 years old. So when everybody else is 40 and they're looking at their home and their family and their, you know, their, their car and their the amazing career and their 401k, you know, I joined the military at 38 and I put all my eggs in that basket and I wanted to do what my great uncle was doing. So even though I had a degree, I went into the enlisted because I knew for sure I would be infantry then. If I went into officer candidate school, there's no guarantee. And he was enlisted, so I thought I'm gonna do the same thing. So for me, I took, it's interesting now because now everything dovetails. And once you understand, once you can see everything through the lens of truth, you can see it all overlap. But at the time, it's difficult to find that. I want to point something out though, because and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna allow you to gloss over certain things. Joining the military at 38 is a crazy thing. It's, it doesn't happen. It's a young kid's game. Yeah. Most of the people are like 18, 19, 20 years old. So, first of all, props to you for not allowing your age to stop you from doing that. Because I was, I'm, I'm. 39. I actually turned 40 in a couple weeks here. Oh, congratulations. Hey, thank you. I'm like really happy about it. You should be, dude. Holy smokes, I made it. Yeah. Like, I'm still here. I made it. Like, you know, I look at age as like a, uh, not a bad thing. I look at it levels. And yeah, I'm about to hit level 40, you know? That's why I'm saying it. Yeah. Um, but so good for you for having the courage and, and the, the cojones to do that. Thanks. Was, how challenging was it? being 38 years old and actually lining up for that, you know, your first, first day. I had six months to kind of get prepared and uh, you know, as well as I do that being in shape as a civilian and being in shape for any kind of, you know, martial components is different. So I just, you know, I talked about yesterday 
without a deadline, time means nothing. And that's why urgency is important and specificity is important. So for me, I had a very definitive timeline, six months, specificity in what I'm trying to get done. And I still, this is in 2011, so infantry school was still very challenging. And I went into it with a mentality that was going to be like full metal jacket. <laughs> yeah. And I trained as such. So my body had adapted. And I'd had years of training as a martial artist, and I'd always been in great, in good shape. Having said that, um, the advantage that I did have was the mindset. So knowing that I'm going to be competing against guys half my age, knowing that the first person yelling at me when I get off the bus that's giving me the, the power hand is going to be a guy that's a drill sergeant that's probably younger than I am. And again, what do you have to do? If, if you really want to do this, then you allow your ego to just be put, you pack it away, because no matter how old I am, they know more about combat in this capacity than I do. So who am I to be like, well, you know, I'm 38 years old, I'm old enough to be your dad. People don't care about that. Mm -hmm. And in the military, the reality is, there's two schools of thought. If they see you at that age, they either think that you are squared away and you're trying to get back to your country and you want to serve, or they think that you have failed at everything you're doing and there's you've run off to join the army because you have a midlife crisis. And so you're looked at from different ways. But the nice thing is, what you earn is what you get. So if I go in there and I had this idea that somebody owes something to me, of course I'm not going to get very far. But if I go in there and I prepare, and the other advantage as well is, if you take a 19-year-old kid now and take their phone away from them and say you can't get on the internet or social media, you can imagine what it does to them. And you have a 19-year-old kid who's never, I don't want to say kid, but a person who's never moved away from home. That's different. And then you throw them into a bay of, you know, 100 people in your platoon and your sleep depth and food is scarce and water is scarce and sleep is a, a dream metaphorically. And then you put them under different pressure and you, you stress them. Yeah. It's, it really is necessary for them to understand that. So with that idea that I want to seek out this adversity intentionally, yep. that's what separates it. By the way, it's kind of depressing as a country. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. A couple things I want to point out. One of those is how preparation breeds confidence. Yep. And whatever you're doing, Absolutely. you have to be prepared for your task. Yeah. If you want to feel good and be confident about it. Uh, and the other concept I want to highlight with that story is the concept, and I've talked a lot, a lot about this on the show, and I'll keep doing it, is Shoshin. So keeping a beginner's mind. Absolutely. Regardless of your experience, regardless of your age, you have a beginner's mind and, and your possibilities are endless. If you go in there acting like you know everything, then you have a closed mindset and you're going to stifle your own growth. Absolutely. And you also like have, a, it affects the people around you who um, could possibly be helping you and they decide not to. That's it. And it's just like martial arts or any kind of martial kind of community. You know, if I go in there, oh, I know how to fire a weapon. Really? Is there not something that I might be able to garnish from this? Is there maybe they're showing me how to squeeze a trigger better, where to go with it, how this particular site's going to work at this point? Yeah, if I go in there thinking I know everything, yeah, I set myself up to fail for sure. Yeah, and, and mastering the basics is really, really difficult. Yeah, because there's no advanced technique. There are just basics that we can do well under stress, and that's it. That's what yep. advanced stuff is. Yep. Um this is a good transition point to because I saw your shirt yesterday and I want to bring up the, the concept of arte. Mm. So could you break that down for the listeners? 
So arete just means excellence in Greek. And arete, the, the, the group that I'm a member of is the one that is created by Andy Frisella and Ed Milet. And that's the idea of using excellence in entrepreneurship to make positive impact on the rest of the world. But I, I love that idea. And the notion of arete is this expectation to, to try to get more out of yourself, but also to do it again in a very specific, intentional way. And if you look for excellence in everything that you do, if you look for excellence in your food choices, in your conversations, in the people you keep around you, and even the movement that you put into your body, the way that you do it, you will always be able to continue to improve. You will always get smoother at it, whether it be a transition from a weapon or whether it be driving in traffic when the person in front of you is not paying attention. So having that kind of idea and having that mentality of trying to ask for excellence in myself allows me to, to do that. And then if you're truly doing it the right way, the impact that you make in, in Arate will, whether it be this, this group or it just in the concept in general, the best compliment you can give anybody is a changed behavior. So I can talk to somebody all day, but if they watch me doing something and it changes their behavior, that is true impact. And if you're doing it right, you will impact people around you because we're impacting them one way or another. Mm -hmm. People think, oh, I'm not making an impact or I'm not a leader. Yeah, you are. Does anybody look at you in a leadership capacity? Do you have a little brother, a little sister, a child, a, a sister, uh, a wife, uh, a family? Yeah, you're a leader in some way, shape, or form. So if you don't think that you are, then you're not upholding your own standard. And one, you're not helping the people around you. And two, you're actually limiting yourself in so many different capacities. Yeah, leadership basically is manipulation of behavior. It is our own and those around yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Arte, um, moral excellence or doing it, like, like how we do anything is how you do everything. Absolutely. So, but that also goes to, um, it's not just in human behavior. Like, you want, like, an apple tree to be a really good apple tree. Mm hmm. Like be the best apple tree that apple tree can be. That's Arte. Yeah. Um, and also where I see parallels there, I know you've spoke about this and wrote about this, uh, uh, Ikigai. Yes. And so um, explain that for the listeners too. So Ikigai is a Japanese idea based around purpose. And what they do is they take four circles and they go through and it's, it's sort of about what you're, like the purpose of your life is. So you look at one circle that says, what can you get paid for? You look at one circle and say, what are you passionate at? You look at one circle and say, what are you good at? And then you look at one other circle and say, where, what does the world need? And then as those overlap, the inside is ikigai, meaning purpose, meaning intention. But even when I teach that, that concept is there, I have five circles of development. It's actually six, but I go through and I'm talking to people about personal development, talking about relationships, talking about work, obviously talking about the idea of their concept of religion or philosophical ideals and then their idea of happiness and then the circle that comes out of that is a sixth circle that projects out of like the three dimensions which is about feeling fulfillment and then being able to serve others in the process so that's where i like that idea and as those things overlap that's where we start to get a better concept because if i'm looking at all of those circles it will keep me honest Emotions assassinate the truth. That's what I was saying yesterday and we were talking about earlier. And if you put things down on black and white, it takes your emotion out of it. So now I can look at it and say, okay, well, I'm crushing a business right now, but in this other circle, my personal development, 
I may not be doing it. Maybe I'm doing well on those two, but I'm not connecting to my kids or my family or my wife. Maybe I'm doing really well with those things, but I'm not pushing myself the way I should be financially in my business or savings. So by doing those things, it takes a very pragmatic look at it. It's just like any kind of logic. If we do, yep. it, do it in black and white, it's no longer a contest or a debate. It's like, is it, are we doing this or are we not? Why are we not? You have to, very simple ways to look at it. Where do you want to be? Where are you now? And then what's stopping you from being there? It has to be simplistic if we want to execute. I want to ask about the, the what's stopping you part. Because if I go to the Ikigai stuff, and, that, and I bring that up because also there's the connection to the arete. And then for the listeners, if you want to look it up, it's A-R-E-T-E. Mm-hmm. Just type in that word in meaning or Greek or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you'll get some pretty cool concepts of it. Um, because I also think, professionally at least, it's through the center of this Venn diagram, if you will, mm-hmm. that you have that path. That doesn't mean you still have to be good at what you're good at, right? And you, st- you still have to love what you love. And that actually is taking a step be- between the intention in your in your mind, what you think, and then what you are actually putting into action, what you're actually doing. Absolutely. And that's a big difference, and that's where some it stuff is. is lost. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at it right now. So again, you have what you love, what you're good at, what you get paid for, and I, and I say paid, I'm going to put that in quotes because there's different ways. It doesn't necessarily mean money, but if it is and that's your profession, awesome. Do that really well. And then what the world needs. Mm-hmm. So in leadership, and I'm assuming doing, especially doing the mindset coaching and stuff that, that, that you're doing, mm. and that is how do you help somebody find out this if they don't know? And that's the thing too. By the time they get to me, usually they they've got some part of, of that figured out, but then they lose the other part. So a classic example, you have a CEO crushing it in business, right? But he has a CEO mindset. So when he goes home, he tries to delegate a bunch of stuff to other people, or he doesn't have something as simple as being present like this moment. So when he's at work, if he's not present and he feels like he needs to be at home and now that's pulling him away from being productive being intentional, being efficient at work. But then when he's at work, when he's at home and he's sitting there watching TV with the kids and and the mom and the wife, um, if there's a part of him that's like, maybe I should be doing an email. Maybe I should be catching up with something. Maybe I should follow up with this. What he's doing simultaneously is one, he's robbing himself of that moment and that happiness, but he's also when he's with his family, but then when he's at work, he's robbing himself of productivity. So if he would learn, and that's what I, what, what I do with him, for this particular one, once he was present at work, he was more efficient. We started implying a lot of timelines, a lot of deadlines, and that created incredible urgency on the things that need to be done. Now, instead of working 60 hours a week, he's able to work 45. And now when he's at home, he can actually really take a breath, really be away from work and really be present. And now he's able to enjoy that. So for the people that are going through that, I just sort of accentuate those areas where there are shine lights on those weaknesses and then say, what are the goals and where are we trying to go? And then how much is this weakness inhibiting it? Uh, if you talk to a company, a, a quick and dirty eval I'll do is I'll say, what are the three things that you guys do great? What are the three things that you guys do horribly? And you have every, empl- every employee take that from the CEO to the janitor. And it's completely anonymous. So they can be pretty 
pretty honest. What they don't understand is maybe even if they all believe that of the three things that they're doing well, if they are unaware of the three things they're doing badly, it will inhibit the ability for them to do those things well. Yep. And people, just like our kinetic chain. Th- that's exactly it. Exactly. I mean, like in Gonstate Chiropractic, they always said that you look at that Leaning Tower of Pisa, that foundation, everything is compromised once that is there because it's really hard for you to overcompensate for that kinetic weakness or that instability, that structural, that lack of structural integrity. And that's why all these things that we're talking about with ethos and ideals and tactics and tenets, they all have to be aligned and we all have to be on the same page. And again, in leadership, it's about communication, it's about trust, but it's also about knowing where you need to be going and getting everybody to be in that same sort of mentality before, because if not, you're literally going to be just dragging people towards excellence. And again, that's one thing that will slow you from doing the top three things that you should be doing well. It's also important to note in that context, how important it is to be open to disconfirming information and aware that even your strengths cast shadows yeah, and have consequences. Absolutely. And that especially comes down to someone with a, a CEO type personality. And I'm saying not just a CEO, I say every, everybody, myself included, like I get heavily involved with work that sometimes I forget when I'm home and I'm still kind of there. Yeah. And then being really good and quick and, and on top of all the information has consequences. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I recalibrate by the easiest thing obviously is to put your phone somewhere else. Absolutely. Yeah. That's like a, but then also I'll remember what's my most important hat. Like what's the most important role? Mm -hmm. Like who am I? Am I employee or am I dad? Mm -hmm. And again, we're talking about ripple effects. Which one's going to have the biggest ripple effects? Absolutely. Because sometimes I, I think about, because again, what you say is one thing, but what you're doing and what your actions are and then what is being seen, especially by kids, that's yeah. going to echo into their own kids and how they parent and how they, what kind of, what kind of role model am I going to be for my grandkids? Absolutely. Because it's going to go right to these little knuckleheads. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And like you say, even if they get the lesson once, if you're not reaffirming it, it's almost like when you hear somebody tell a joke. You may hear somebody, a great comedian tell a joke, but if you can't translate it properly, and then you're just like, well, you had to be there. It's like, no, if you know the lesson well enough and it's instilled within them, it's impossible for them to not translate it correctly. Yep. And that's where it's really powerful, and it kind of goes back to my earlier question of, of helping somebody know. Um, and again, the other concept, is of, and it's the reason why I have it up on my wall here, the Temenosuke, know thyself, and how yeah. important that is. Yeah. Because the more the more you know yourself um, emotionally, spiritually, morally, mm-hmm. physically, yeah. again, and I'll use the physical thing because we're talking about the chiropractic, if you know your body, if you know how things are supposed to function and if there's a dysfunction, you're aware of it. Right. And once you're aware of it and you understand how to fix it, then you can regulate it. Of course. But then knowing yourself is super difficult. It's a paradox. It is a paradox. And even like yesterday, um, you know, I would rather try to do the pull-ups. But I also know that if I want the shoulder to recover and if I want to be able to serve everybody to the best of my ability, even like today, without being in like a crazy amount of pain, I have to not be aware of what people are doing around me and not really take what they, their opinions are 
and just push through to the best of my ability in a modified capacity. And uh, like you said, it's, it's about what are you trying to accomplish with this? Mm -hmm. Am I just trying to get this incredible time? Am I trying to impress other people? Or am I trying to be self-aware enough to understand that the intention behind this is important and um, that if I can continue to serve to the best of my ability, yeah, man. that this is what helps me do it. That's an important thing. Do. I talk about vulnerability of strength. That's one of my taglines. Oh, yeah. So you have the, the courage to face your vulnerability and the courage to do ring rows, right? Yep. That's brave. Like you could have done the other thing and then probably injured yourself and then inhibited a bunch of other stuff. The workout, the, the point of a workout is it is physical therapy. Absolutely. You don't do physical therapy to injure yourself. No. Right? And once my shoulders hurt, guess what? Push-ups are going to be tough. And then even moving my arm to run is going to be tough. Yep. And so if I gut through the, the workout and still don't do what I feel is the best of my ability, then I, I can't. I'm robbing myself of that satisfaction. I'm robbing myself of the ability to have community. And I'm disrespecting Murph in the process. Yeah. And like... And this will come up in, in, in some of the gratitude stuff, but you have the ability to grab a ring. And you know what? You have two arms. Yeah. With opposable thumbs. That's it. And, and we have the freedom to do it. And yep. we have the wherewithal and the time to do it. When I said yesterday, when I was said, I told everybody within the sound of my voice, there will eventually come a time when you will no longer be able to chase after your greatest dreams and ambitions. And that that time is likely closer than you believe. I'm not saying necessarily that it has to be physical, like what happened to me. It could be financial. It could be constraints in the job, constraints at work, constraints at, with your family. And it's always deleterious. It just sneaks up on you. So statistically, there are some people that were there yesterday that did Murph that will never be able to do Murph ever again in their lives, may not ever be able to do it at LA Fitness again. So with that intention, that helps you understand. Like you said, it frames it up, and that concept is undeniable. So if we can look at it from that standpoint, like you say, you better be going for the hunt and not worry about the fireplace. Uh, memento mori. Remember that you will die. Absolutely. So speaking of dying, so the way I'm going to frame this stuff up now is is there's going to be a portion on grit, character, gratitude, and service. And to me, if anyone's paying attention, they'll notice that I mentioned that in the intros, and I also put that down as um, almost like a subtitle type of thing on my social media post, mm -hmm. posts. And they're not random. That's and if you look carefully, there's actually a path there. And so we're going to start off with grit. Now, they're all obviously interconnected and everything like that. So you had a, um, a cervical injury. And again, we could talk about how it happened, why it happened, and everything. Um, but... Uh, this is this can be one podcast episode. If I were making volumes, it would really dive into the specifics. <laughs> but the point is, it was there. Um, another thing to point out that you made the choice to have it taken care of. And for some reason, I've noticed that people that bear loads or vests or equipment and stuff like that, I've had just in, in, in my department alone, a handful of people that have had surgeries there recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of them just retired like last month mm -hmm. or was forced to retire. Yep. Another one had that done and is still in the game wearing a bunch of gear. Mm -hmm. I kind of worry about him sometimes. Yeah. Um, so you had this injury 
And at first you thought about grinding through it. So there's a little bit of a, a lesson there in commitment or ego uh, when you're faced with something that's an injury or just something that's kind of hurting. Right. Right. And then also making the decision because you still have to, if you're still making an, an investment in your future. Yeah. So you faced it, you went, um, was it C5, C6? C5, C6 were completely ankylosed and they're, they're fused. Oh, I've got a bunch of titanium in there and, and that was it. I mean, I, I gritted through for a while. I, I had numbness in my hands and my feet, but when you wake up and you're literally paralyzed and you can't move, like you said, you don't have any other choice. You have to get it fixed. And that's where it becomes even more brutal. Did you have that feeling when, when, um, like, uh, some paralysis before the surgery? Yeah, I had a, I was completely paralyzed from the neck down when they sent me to the hospital to get it done. But leading up to it, I had a hard time, like, cause we would do like quick roping out of a helicopter yep. or doing pull-ups. So I was having a hard time holding on, but it's negative 20 degrees up there. So I expected it's because we're out in the elements for two weeks at a time, or I had numbness in my feet. Say negative 20? Yeah. With a wind chill and at Fort Drum, upstate New York, it's 20 miles south of the Canadian border. It's it's pretty brutal, but that's why they train you up there because yeah. when you go to Afghanistan, people don't realize that if you're in the mountains, it is cold and you have to understand winter warfare. You have to understand all those things. You have to be able to get out of a helicopter fast. You know, you have to understand all that because if you don't, when you're getting over there, it's going to be a rough go. And the thing is, if you're not prepared, usually you're not the one that gets killed, but you get other men killed. Yep. And that's a hell of a motivation. So, um, I want to talk about the paralysis part. Mm -hmm. Because, and this is something that I talk, I talk about this a lot. In fact, I just made a social media post about it today about how movement is a gift. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've had little Missy Diaz on here who has spina bifida and she's done like every Spartan race in the world. She's a savage little turtle beast. Um, and she's been, oh God, I forget how many, like 30 plus surgeries since she was a kid. Like mm-hmm. just... And she's still grinding. Um, Could go on and on and on. But the point I'm trying to make here, and I want to highlight through you, is what were some of the lessons that you have when you could not move your body and you're looking back to the life you had and at some point in time, something clicked into the life that you're going to have? Yeah, I went through the the standard kind of five phases of um, acceptance. Uh, went through denial real fast, went through anger. I stayed in anger for a long time. Uh, the anger was there simply because I had regrets about my life and I realized quickly that I had wasted a lot of it. Mm, yeah, exactly. Right there, <laughs> you, cycle, yeah. So I just showed on my computer, you had, uh, you just mentioned, and I actually had, I'm staring at the Kubler-Ross grief cycle right now. That's it. And then you go through bargaining and then you eventually get to that place of acceptance. But for me, what it was is being paralyzed and, and being angry at everybody for months at a time is not serving me. And I knew that. And again, you have, for me, having all this martial art background, studying Zen, Taoism, Stoicism, all these different philosophies, all that stuff started coming back to my mind. But I can tell you this, when you're lying in the bed and you can't move, all that stuff just sounds like a bunch of flowery BS because it doesn't feel like it's something you can apply. 
It's like, it's easy for you to say this, but you're not the one that's here. So if you would have walked in and said, hey, Marcus, this is a, a gift, I probably would have spit on you because I wouldn't be able to punch you. <laughs> um, but, but that's where it was. So I had all that knowledge coming back to me, but it was a, I didn't want to hear it. And then eventually, after about three months, I realized that it wasn't helping me and that there had to be. So for me, I desperately wanted to walk. But what it was is adversity put this before me to make me figure something out there was a lesson and the lesson for me was about who gained from this, who was benefited from my injury. And it, for months I couldn't think of anything, but what I realized again was about that community. So when I looked and realized that if I'd have been deployed with this, if one man gets injured, it takes two men to pull him to safety when you're deployed. You're in the infantry. That means now this team has to cover down. This means the squad is compromised. It means a Chinook flies in into a hot zone. So that means there's a medical team on there. So that means there's like 20 other people whose lives would have been put in harm's way. And when I had that, like for the first time, maybe in my life, I had unconditional gratitude, like unconditional love. And I was like, wow, I'm lucky. And that was the beginning because once I had that cornerstone, I was able to have gratitude for a lot more things. So it came down to, because as a soldier, you have to have a certain amount of bravado, a certain amount of arrogance. Because when they told me I died, and the, so the surgeon's like, hey, you died, you came back. The good news is you get to tell the tell. The bad thing is you're going to be like this for the rest of your life. I was like, well, if I can overcome death, I can walk. This ain't no big deal. Man, you don't know. But as it becomes abundantly obvious, that's when you have to really start doing that deep searching. And for me, once I started, because in life, we're grateful for the stuff we like. We're grateful for a beautiful day or be able to do Murph or to be able to have a great conversation. But then there's a lot of stuff in life that we don't like. But genuine gratitude isn't a buzzword. It's not woo-woo. It's not a journal that you fill out in the morning. It's not a defeated mentality where you sit on your hands and you play a victim and you watch everything falling apart in your life and you go, oh, but I'm grateful. No, that's not what gratitude is. Gratitude is acting in a grateful manner. If I'm grateful for you, I respect you, I trust you, I give you attention, I give you presence. And that's what gratitude is. Once I had unconditional gratitude, a week after I started to see my adversity as a gift instead of a curse, I started getting a little bit of feeling back in this hand. And it wasn't a lot, but it was something. And that's where I started getting a little bit of hope. The part of it that people don't always hear is that once I got a little bit of feeling in both my hands and my feet, I got arrogant again. Again, I was like, see, I knew I could do it. And that's when I got bitch slapped by the universe. It was like, nope. I slid right back to where I was and there was nothing. So that's when I had to do that little bit of searching again, go back through that cycle again and went back to just that full idea of, of truly being grateful for everything, both the good and the bad. So I'm going to highlight with the, the, the Kubler-Ross uh, model here for the listeners. Um, one, if you guys are interested, I did cover, I did an episode on grief that, um, I don't remember the episode number, but it's there somewhere. Uh, but the, the grief cycle is denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Mm -hmm. Now they don't necessarily go in order, right? Right. They, they're they're But that's how it's laid out. In fact, later on in her life, she realized that and then wishes she taught that in the beginning, but that's not how things work. Yeah. Um, 
but also something to to realize that if you're in anger that that is normal it's part of the process you need your anger but another thing to point out it's not it's not just anger it's grief right you your anger is grief you're grieving something that has died and you're angry about it yeah so it could be your past life your your past relationship with your ex is now dead and you're angry about it because you're grieving it absolutely and so when you're in it it stings but eventually i think if we were to all ask ourselves what are the moments of our life that we're grateful for a lot of them are bad quote unquote bad right the experiences the 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 hardships that we went through that form the person that we are that's actually and i've talked i talk about this in almost every episode why I'm so uncomfortable a lot of times doing intros and reading people's like resumes because mm-hmm. it just kind of bothers me because I know it's not, the resume isn't the person. No. It's their hardships and the stuff they've overcome because right. that creates that person and to have gratitude for those things. And that's what ends up building your character. Right. How you respond in adversity and what you do with presenting an, an opportunity to show your grittiness, eventually it starts forming your character. Mm-hmm. When you're unable to move and I want to be like uh, pretty specific here what were some of the things that popped up in your head that you just you mentioned walking mm-hmm. right what were other things that popped up in your head that you just really like wished you could do I regretted every moment that I binged on Netflix Netflix I regretted every moment that I took a nap when I could have been been, been more productive. I understand that taking naps is, is necessary sometimes, but when you're given a lot of opportunity and you assume that you have a lot of time, we don't, there's no urgency there. We don't take it for granted. Um, I, I regretted that I hadn't acted more authoritatively in the things that I really wanted. So a lot of the regrets that we have are just these ideas that, you know, you understand quickly when you're lying into bed, you understand that the amount of money that you have in the bank it's just a number on a computer screen or a piece of paper and that the car that you drive and the, the house you live in and the kind of clothes you wear don't matter in the grand scheme of things. They really don't. So even though I knew that leading up to it, it didn't really have the gravity that it did until I was in it. People say you don't know what you got till it's gone, but that's not true. We know what we have, but we just assume that we will always have it. So we will assume that we always have our physicality. We will assume we always have a family that loves us or, or whatever we take for granted now. And that's why it's so important to understand that this moment is the most important thing that we have because it's all that we have. And that the things that you are taking for granted can be gone in a heartbeat. So use them yep. wisely. And some of the things that I remember, again, I have not been paralyzed but it's all relative. I've been through things that stopped me from doing the normal stuff. Mm-hmm. And I talk about this stuff a lot because I really like to wake people up to realize that they have, like they hit the jackpot, they get the lottery, they won the chance to be a human being on the planet right now and to have the body that they have. They get to listen and actually hear this podcast with both ears, maybe. Possibly. That right there is a gift. It is. Stereo hearing. Uh, I've had all kinds of different injuries myself, um, and I and I know everyone else has. So, 
remember the stuff that you couldn't do, like a shoulder um, mm-hmm. injury. Like, okay, you can't do a pull-up. Okay, that's one thing. But there was a time when I couldn't put my own shirt on. And I'm like, I just want to be able to put a T-shirt on. I want to lift my arm so I can put my T-shirt on. Mm-hmm. Or hurting a leg. So I wanted to be able to get out of my car normally. There's that time where, and I use this, uh, uh, this example because it's funny. Uh, you know, you're walking in a crosswalk and a car is coming kind of quickly. And you kind of like speed it up a little bit and maybe like skip up the curb. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do that at one point in time. Yeah. So now when I do it, I'm like, I, I, just to be able to skip up a curb mm-hmm. and feel no pain and be able to do that. I'm like, this is awesome. It's, it's incredible. Holding a rem- Ooh, flipping my phone around. Being able to operate my phone with my thumb is an amazing thing. Yeah. Or hands. Mm-hmm. Um, the sense of smell, sight. All these things that can be taken and will be taken whenever life decides it so can be gone. And to be hi- highly aware of that stuff. And I found it helps being that kind of like rooted in gratitude and and like lifted by awareness it makes all the other things like less powerful absolutely and i say the other things i mean a little stuff that tries tries to rob you of your happiness and trying to make you like angry and bitter Mm -hmm. and generally those things are people that probably need some love too they are the ones that need the most right so the greedy part here is that you're there, you can't move, you're paralyzed. Um, what are you gonna do with it? What lesson are you gonna learn? What are your thoughts like? And what's your actions gonna be like? No. Not the circumstances and the poor you. What are you gonna do with the time that you have now? In fact, I have, that reminds me of a quote from uh, the, Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius, not to be confused with you. Oh, not at all. It says, Take it that you have died today and your life story is ended. And henceforward, regard what further time may be given you as an uncovenanted surplus. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with that? Yeah. And so, from, from that like grit and from the little bit of movement coming from your hand, and of course, for every step forward, there's always going to be steps back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but your mindset doesn't have to go back, right? That's kind of where that unconquerable soul comes in yeah. and that unbeatable mind. I also think, especially if you know, if you know that's going to happen, mm-hmm. like you can prepare for it and then it takes away its power. Like if you know it's going to happen, if you know it's going to rain outside, and you're like, check, I'll bring an umbrella. Like, I'll wear a jacket. No big yeah. deal. Like, it's not a big deal. You take away its power. So if you know that in life, that things are going to happen, it helps you prepare for it. So that's the point there. Um, but how did that change your character? It didn't change my character. Uh, it actually really, me, really made me uncover my character. You know what I mean? Yeah, it made me revealed. It clicked. It, it made some adjustments in your connect chain. Yeah, it's it stripped away a lot of the stuff that I thought was again thought things that I thought were important or things that I I cared about before. And I understand after the fact that it was unnecessary and superfluous. And the reality is, 
reality is it we don't see a lot of these lessons until after the fact so just like you're saying if you can have this mentality affixed to you before you get into the heat of battle before you're in the fray it will better serve you then and i say that now but like like i mentioned even when i was in it it was still hard and i still knew all that i still had all this knowledge but when i was in it was difficult so i'm just saying that now so that if somebody can even have a, a seed of that within them hopefully it can blossom before they get to the point where they actually had to put it into action yep that's where that's where like you you're gonna get knocked down yeah it's an and you're gonna get knocked down you're gonna get and in fact when you're knocked down you're gonna get kicked yeah and you get spit on maybe by a paralyzed guy <laughs> and uh <laughs> maybe but even though you're knocked down it's not like that's the end it's not like, oh, I've been knocked down and I'm okay, I'm free. But no, and that's where like, I keep telling people like to get up strong. Mm-hmm. That's where it's at. You can, I don't care if you get knocked down, get up strong. Over and over and over and over and over and over. That's it. And even now, I mean, I went through what I went through, but it's not like my Latin. I mean, enlightenment, not that I'm enlightened, but they talk about enlightenment. And it's not as if you're enlightened one day and then all of a sudden the rest of your life is easy. In fact, it's almost harder because you're much more aware and you're much more cognizant about what's going on. So for me, I understood that it, I understand even now adversity is an, an, it is an inevitability. So whether it be creating a business, whether it be speaking, whether it be helping people writing a book, whatever it is, it doesn't go away. There's never a point where you're like, okay, I will never face adversity again. And if you are at that place, then you're probably in the wrong place. You should be seeking it out actively in one way, shape, or form. If you can have adversity as your compass, it will always direct you in the right direction. And for most people that are going through hardship, the answer that they're looking for so desperately is found within the adversity that they are not facing. They're avoiding it. So the people are like, oh, my business won't work, and I'm doing this, and they're having a hard time. Well, are you doing X, Y, and Z? Well, no, that's going to take a lot of time. Well, I'm sorry. That's where the fruit is. That's where, like, uh, like Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle is the Way. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways that we can say that. but And we're also talking about seeking or pushing yourself through little micro-adversities. Absolutely. Um, and we were talking yesterday, and we should bring it up now, but also uh, that we found that we both seek that, and one of the ways that we seek it is through cold exposure. Mm-hmm. So um, tell me about that process for you. For me, I, I love the cold exposure that you have set up. I, I, I should do something like that. For me, the cold exposure that I do is either a cold bath, which is I put some ice in it, but it's not continually cold like yours is, or just a shower if I'm in a hurry. And that, again, with that Wim Hof mentality, with that breathing, that that enough will be enough to create that, that positive adaptation that you can get from cold. Um, you and I talked about microadversities. I talk about fasting. Um, again, that's, that's a way for us to see where we can go. And even like you were saying before, you know, the task that impedes our path is our task. So whatever is slowing us down, whatever we find ourselves getting caught on in Zen, they say, if you think that you're enlightened, go spend the weekend with your family because it will quickly make you realize that you're not on this, this huge like mountain where you know everything. It just shows you that now there's more stuff to work on. The, and I do want to point out that a cold shower is works perfectly. Absolutely. Um, it's a, it's a different type of stimulus than than my 
chest freezer converted into an ice bath. That's like 33 degrees. A cold shower, first of all, like a cold shower in, say, like Boston is going to be a lot colder than mm. a cold shower in L.A. Yeah. You know, the temperature, if it drops below 60, I'm getting my scarf out, you know. <laughs> but it's still, and I have experience with both. And I'll still, at a minimum, do a one cold shower a day. Mm-hmm. At a minimum, like, I, I kind of separate the ice bath because it's, it's such, like, an acutely different experience. It's also, like, 30 degrees colder. Yeah. Now, there are so many lessons, and I, in, I actually intend on making a podcast episode on the mindset for cold exposure. Mm-hmm. Just because there's a lot of things there, a lot of, yeah. lot of ways and a lot of thought processes and things that you can do, breath work and how you think, and to take away the cold's power. Because most people, I think, especially for those people, that, those the listeners right now, that are thinking that we're crazy. Mm-hmm. First of all, I challenge you to do a cold shower. Yeah. Two ways. One, just get in cold water. If you don't want to do that, at the end of your cold shower, or end of your regular shower, turn it cold for 15, 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. And then try to control yourself. And even, even more so, try to control your thoughts mm-hmm. because it's just discomfort. It's only cold water. Yeah. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to injure you. It's not going to give you a black eye. It's not going to try and kill you. It's not going to strangle you. Cold water is cold water. It doesn't decide anything. It's just, I'm cold water. Your thought process is what controls it. So you can treat it as something that, oh my gosh, it's so cold, I'm scared, I'm mouth breathing now, I'm shaking, it's, it's changing my body language, mm-hmm. it's freaking me out. Or you treat it like this is a tool to help me get stronger. And I am, like what is cold water compared to the power of you? It's, it's nothing if you're willing to see it as a catalyst for you to change, absolutely. Right, and just a little, it, it, just a little thought changes that entire experience. Yeah. The perspective and completely changes. And like you were talking about micro adversities, like you said, even if you can do 20 seconds, that's a start. Mm-hmm. And now you slowly build that up. Or like you were saying, people that get in the shower and they're like, if you fight against it, of course it's going to suck. But if you breathe into it and you're like, I'm trying to connect the, to this. When I was learning martial arts from a, one of Bruce Lee's students, I went to his house and it's, you know, a hundred degrees out there. And it's a traditional Chinese house where there is no AC on. And his wife brings me, he asked me if I'd like tea. I was like, yeah, she brings me hot tea. And I'm like, hot tea, it's, it's, it's hot outside. And uh, she looks at me and I'm sweating and she sets the tea down. She says something in Chinese I don't, I don't understand, obviously. And uh, my instructor says, she says that you're out of balance with the environment. And if you drink this, you won't feel as hot which sounds counterintuitive, but of course I, I do what they say. And guess what? It actually made sense. And it actually did make me feel, wow, this is, is better for me. So like you say, if I'm trying to resist the cold and I'm not breathing properly and I'm not really going into it, yeah, it's going to suck. And if I think that it sucks the entire time I'm doing it, I'm corroborating my belief system. But just like my uncle said, do you think the cold actually cares about you? It doesn't care. It just is. Absorb it. Take it for what it is. Learn from it. And if you can't learn anything from it, then the lesson that you're learning from it is that you're not trying to learn the lesson. Yeah, it's an external stimulus. Yep. It doesn't have to control you. 
it's like an out like the have your inner fire be greater than the outer storm absolutely i've went through like a weird process with that cold like at first i like it did turn me into a victim mode Mm -hmm. and i and then i woke i realized it and regulated and i still constantly practice Mm -hmm. every single day sometimes it gets me for a couple seconds sometimes it gets me for more than a couple seconds but i switch it in the Mm -hmm. at least with the cold water little challenge that i'll do i stay in there and to the point where like uh, like it's nothing like i'm all Mm -hmm. like you're numb yeah like no not even i mean it's just like a all right i'm just a guy standing in the shower now yeah yeah and the same thing with the chest freezer when i get in there eventually i'm like okay i'm just a weirdo sitting in a chest freezer mm-hmm. like it, it's not a thing anymore yeah like this it's 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 service or it's a punkability factor has gone down a whole lot yeah 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 it's uh and the and the other thing about it that's fascinating is you, i come to a point where i seek it and i need it and i like mm-hmm. not something like oh my gosh i gotta do this now i'm like oh my i get i have to go do that mm-hmm so that's you guys homework go take a cold shower absolutely and then hit us up let us know how it goes yeah so uh the character part right you get to that you go through the grit portion and and now you have a second shot Mm -hmm. at 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 life and then you have starting to learn um a different mindset and a different type of thinking when it comes to even walking around like every time you, I don't say every time, but how often are you actually thinking about that stuff? I thought about yesterday when I was running, for sure. I mean, my, my gait is not fantastic and my run times are not great, but I, I was also very, again, grateful to be able to run. And uh, I, I do think about it, not all the time, but there's something that I, I have. It's like an, I call it the adversity scale. And zero is on the very bottom. And then at the very top is 10 and it's a scale. So 10 is the worst thing you've ever done in your life, the most difficult thing. And then zero is like heaven on earth or your favorite day. And that adversity scale really keeps you honest because again, like I said, it, it takes the emotion out. So if I'm having a bad day or if I'm feeling like it's, I'm not, you know, I'm mad about traffic or the weather or whatever, something stupid like that. Uh, I ask myself, you know, on the grand scheme of things, where is this? Usually it's about a two. And then it, it helps me realize you're being a victim you're perpetuating your own weakness. You're corroborating that belief and you're actually setting yourself up for failure in other ways. So like you said, as soon as I do that, and I still have numbness in my hands and my feet. So that's a constant reminder that tethers me to that adversity, but it also is a positive reminder of where I came from. So I guess I'm lucky that I don't think about it all the time, but I, I would be lying if I said I didn't. I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't a part of me that in the back of my mind is still afraid that that'll happen again. Good. That, it is good. It's absolutely good. I mean, if I'm rolling with somebody, if I'm doing, you know, training with a stick or, or sparring, I know that this has to be a person that I, I trust enough to allow them to do that. Because the days of getting punched in the face, you know, just because it's fun is not what I'm here for. But at the same time, like you said, the skill set is still there. So now if I know that I have to defend myself or somebody else that cannot, I can go in with that mentality without any kind of trepidation or fear because it's already decided. But I want to highlight that. Like that's a good thing to be aware that that can happen. Yeah. Because even for everybody listening, something can happen. Mm -hmm. It's easy 
to get hurt. It's easy to get in a car accident and it's, it's, I almost tore my knee doing dishes the other day. Like, I can't believe it. Like it was a little, the floor was a little wet and you know, level, level, almost level 40 almost went down, you know, (laughs) but even still like that, that's the, the mindset. And I think this, this is a little trick that I learned and I've started to actually apply it to my CrossFit style workouts is that I used to time my chest freezer exposure. Mm-hmm. I set the timer actually going even back further. I used to time, you know, the breath holds when you're doing the Wim Hof breathing, right? I would time all those. And then that became the thing that I was trying to beat. I was trying to beat my time mm-hmm. and now it became a competition instead of enjoying the experience. Right. So I figured that out pretty quickly. I'm not to time those. And then same thing with the, the exposure in the water. It came, became a thing. I'm going to try and beat my prior time. And then that's what I'm focusing on instead of enjoying the moment. Exactly. And then I started doing that also. And you see it in something like the workout Murph. Mm-hmm. And for, for some, if, if you guys don't know what that is, it's a mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, mile run. And you can partition the movements as you see fit. That's the, the, the workout Murph that a lot of CrossFit gyms do on Memorial Day to honor Lieutenant Michael Murphy, who... Uh, Operation Red Wings and the movie Lone Survivor and stuff. So that's what that is to get that out quickly. Mm. Um, but even timing that, like whatever. I know it's a thing because we're all competitive and it, it unites. It, it, it's one of the things that unites everyone that does a workout is your time. And it's the beauty right. and, and the paradox of, of these CrossFit style workouts because it's awesome to connect, but it's also the competitiveness. And then you, it distracts from the gift of the ability to do some type of that workout. That, that's it. There's there a lot of the people that I work with are like very high achievers, like very high performers. And so if I have like a, an owner of a company or a CEO and the classic quandary for them is they will set a huge goal and they'll accomplish it, but they will not feel any satisfaction. Why? Because they have put their head down, put their fingers in their ears, and they just plow through this entire experience leading up to this this thing, like you said, like your timing, what's going on. And so then they try to put emotion behind it and satisfaction behind it, thinking that once they get to that point, that's when they will achieve it. But they forget, and I know it's going to sound like a, a, a Zen character, but that's the reality is these people will get more satisfaction of course, having a goal that's compelling and having a goal that has an emotional attachment is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But if you can understand that you need to enjoy the process leading up to that, magically, when I do that with them, three months later after we set a goal, which we talked about Parkinson's Law, I set a goal for them that's a year, and then we compress into three months. But when they understand that, and now they're hypersensitive to not only the goal being achieved, but the fact that all the presence of what they're experiencing leading up to it, magically, oh, wow. That wasn't nearly as high of an achievement as what I've done before, but it means so much more to me. It's like, yeah, it's crazy, right? It's almost yeah. like I know what I'm talking about. Another little trick, because we can't we can't make uh, you know people paralyzed, so or even pretend to be. It's that's just go lay down somewhere, right? It's called a note, yeah. Um, but take away one of your gifts, and. And I say they're gifts because they're like the great, the wonders of the world, your senses. Mm-hmm. So celebrate movement because you have it. Mm-hmm. 
And one way to, to really understand that is do um, whatever movement you guys are doing in your fitness endeavor, or if you don't, um, you can always try walking w- with your eyes closed mm-hmm. or put tape over your eyes and try doing some push-ups and squats without being able to see. Mm-hmm. And t- think about how that feels and that type of appreciation. And then when you take the things off, you're going to see like different colors. You'll see different perspectives on things. Another trick with that is, and if you're in uh, your office, you can't do it in your car when you're driving. Um, ah, you know what? In your car, like, have you ever sat in the passenger seat of your own car? It looks totally, inf- looks different, and it feels different. Mm-hmm. And just a little shift in perspective. That's it. And then you have the ability to see it. So that those little things, that is where I always find, like, so much gratitude in the ability to do a workout like Murph. Does it sting? Do you get sore? Yes, you have the awesome gift of the ability to get sore. And it doesn't matter if you're doing pull-ups or ring pull-ups or pulling anything. The celebration and the mindset of the ability to grab something. Absolutely. And it's just a metaphor, man. Like doing push-ups is just, can you push yourself up off the ground? Can you get up? Right, yeah. and the squat is like a like the ability to have two legs and balance yourself is a gift. Yeah. And I say that like my mom, who's in her uh, seventy three, cannot do it. Wow, she can't walk and she can't squat. She can't go to the bathroom herself. None of it. Yep. And if I if I ask her, hey, how like how important would it be for you to be able to walk to the bathroom? Right, I know you can relate to that. Like, oh, yeah. like at that point in time, how cool, like how cool would it be to be able to walk to the bathroom? Yep. And that's the stuff that we don't pay attention to. Yeah, there. Like I mentioned yesterday, there's hundreds of thousands of people who would give anything to have the things that you and I are taking for granted or even bitching about right now. Honestly. Oh yeah. It's like, oh, you know, there's there's a sound over here. There's this. Like I said, in the grand scheme of things, there's a person fighting for their life right now. Yeah. yeah, I'm hungry. I haven't eaten in God, three hours. <laughs> I'm starving. Exactly. I can't eat. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And so another part that I want to highlight here in, in your journey is gone through like the grit and the character and, and you know, uh, your own personal relationship with gratitude. Um, and then how that's led ultimately to service. And how has that helped you now? And how has that brought light to what you're going to do with your life? Yeah, that's the the great part of the whole journey is um, if I can give somebody like even a 1% of what I've done and, and anything that I talk about actually gives them a little bit of something, then I've won. The, the intention is to be able to go through and give that knowledge to people the ones that are willing to listen to it are the ones that are receptive to it. The, the idea is that they say in advertising, for example, that it takes eight to 12 exposures to like an ad or a product before somebody will actually sell or actually make a commitment to purchase it. And so what I'm saying, nothing I'm saying is original or new because truth is universal. So what I say may not be original, but I will say in an original manner. 
the emotions that I've experienced are no different than what millions of people have done for centuries. But if my story is a way to connect to somebody and to show them, maybe it's that exposure, that 10th or 11th or 12th exposure as it were, and maybe now I can shine a light on it to where they're like, oh, that makes sense. So it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to understand that you're not perfect. The people that try to prop themselves up as perfect are the ones that are usually trying their hardest to, to put on the facade. Understand that if you're not being vulnerable with yourself, vulnerability is just the fact that you're being honest with yourself. That's it. So yesterday, when you're doing Murph, like I, that's what I said before we got started, when you feel like giving up, ask yourself, what would Murph do? It doesn't mean that you're not going to feel like giving up, but it does mean that you are going to try to hold yourself to a higher standard. And that when you face that adversity, you can either let that limit you or you can use it as something that will push you forward. And the reality is there is nothing that pushes us harder than adversity or the threat of, doom, of looming adversity because that's what will spur you on when you feel like giving up on your own. It is in our nature as, as a human animal to want to have homeostasis emotionally and physically, to not want to have to get out of that, to not be uncomfortable. But you have to understand that if you want to go beyond the level of just living quiet desperation of mediocrity, that you have to demand more from yourself. And this may sound crazy, but if you don't demand something from you, life will start demanding things from you that you don't want. So if you're going to have to pay the price of adversity, it might as well be for something that is going to better you and serve you or somebody else you care about in the long run. And that's it. One of my, one of my favorite things that I've heard you say was um, that misery loves company, but so does mediocrity. Yeah, misery loves company, but not as much as mediocrity. Not as much, right? Like, thank you. That's the fact. That, I'm like, oh man, that is awesome. I've never heard it put that way. But that is something I heard you say that resonated with me that I'm going to carry as my own little ripple effect here. Thank you, brother. Because that is, is something to be aware of, especially if you're on this path um, and saying true to Arate, that you're going to face people that don't like that and don't like you because you're doing that. Yep. And that's not your fault. That's something they're dealing with. Yep. Um. I also mentioned that I almost named the show that. I yeah. was telling you yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought about it for a while, and then I was like, you know, Arte way, it's too rhymey. There's, all, there's mm -hmm. a bunch of other little reasons. Yeah. Um, but it was something I thought heavily about for a while. Even looked at certain logos and everything, and then um, ended up sticking to what felt right. Mm -hmm. And went with, uh, Sisu is not that much different I mean, it's they're they're pretty similar, right? Right. It's just I think the Sisu uh, word is kind of a little bit more born through grit. I would agree. Right. It's born through persistence and perseverance. Um, kind of like almost like sets you on the path to RSA. It does. Right. It's exactly they're they're hand in hand. Yep. What does um, like now? What does being a servant? you know, a servant leader, if you will, what does that do for you? It's interesting because I learn more from serving and leading than I give anybody else that I'm, I'm helping. So in the martial arts, they say one teach, but two learn. And that's what it is by serving others. I'm learning a lot more about myself and I'm learning how to serve better. Um, when I was teaching a martial art class one day, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I had 
it was interesting. All of my students in that, in that class uniformly were doing something wrong. And I would go back to each of them and I would correct it. I was like, why are they doing this wrong? And then I looked at myself in the mirror when I was performing it and I was doing it wrong. So they were good students. I was a bad Sifu. So they were doing everything they were supposed to do. I was one that was doing it wrong. So I learned a lesson that time. Or if, you, if you're telling somebody to throw the punches and to keep their hands up and you watch them get knocked out in the ring, again, it's a reinforcement to us. So it helps me reinforce truths and it helps me not be blind to other spots where I'm, there may be chinks in the armor or you know weakness in, my, in those chains, as it were. And that's the best gift that you can ever get because now it helps me honest. It keeps your ego definitely in check. And if you truly want to help more people, you will constantly question yourself and ask yourself why. If I'm constantly figuring out what I'm doing and, and why I'm doing it, I can never be victimized by somebody else or assassinated by somebody with a Machiavellian intent. It's right there. I'm very well aware of it. I've taken it into consideration and I'm going to continue moving forward with it because for, for what I'm trying to accomplish, it is what has to be accomplished. It has to be done. Yeah. Yep. What, what are you still struggling with? What I'm struggling with now is that dynamic of, because the 40% rule is very real, right? In Special Forces, David Goggins talks about it. And that 40% rule means that when you're physically no longer, you feel like you can't go on, you still have more. For me, I actually have a mindset, for better or for worse, that's strong enough to where I actually physically broke my body. So if everybody that's preaching about, you gotta push yourself, if they haven't actually broke themselves to a point where it's very serious, then they're not even pushing themselves far enough. So it's that that delicate dance where I'm, it's not yin and it's not yang because that's balanced. It's a blend. So I'm constantly trying to see how far can I push myself and going beyond without truly endangering myself, but also how can I be vulnerable enough with myself and look at my the things that I'm not good at so that I can continue to serve more people. So again, having a podcast, having a team, developing the proper leadership, scaling those things out, taking my hands off the wheel on certain things to allow other people to do that. That's the hardship because for a long time it was me doing everything. But again, when we talked about prioritizing things, if everything is a priority, then nothing is a priority. And in order for me to help more people, I had to be able to do that. So that's my hardship right now. What did you learn about yourself as uh, a person and as a partner from your failed marriage? I learned that it was all my fault in some way, shape, or form. Um, if you can't communicate, or if you just had this um, sort of um, uncomfortable truce, if you're allowing things to just continue to go through the same cycle over and over again, it will eventually catch you. What I do now is I call it cleaning the slate, and I do it in relationships, but I also talk about people doing that in work. If we can have a clean slate and we can actually figure out why is there tension here? Are you mad about the fact that I didn't do the dishes? Are you mad at me because I said I was going to be done at this time and I'm still not? Just get it out in the open. Get it out there. Because if you don't, it will fester and it will build and it will compound. And then before you know it, you actually have date night and all of a sudden you pass assault and they're yelling and screaming at you for something. Well, they're mad about something that happened three months ago. So the sooner that you can air that out, the less likely that it's going to be able to come back and explode. And it's the same thing, like I say, at work. If you are a leader and you say, you have to lead by example, and it's based on trust, and you don't have that, 
then how are you going to get your people to follow you? How are you going to breed trust within that group, within that team, within that organization? I think another, I want to look it up right now because I have my computer here. Just along that note is understanding and love languages. It's true. It's just like languages of leadership. That is, uh, oh man, there's seven. Okay. No, there's, there's four. Oh no, there's five. You know, you, when you Google list, there's always to be like, <laughs> yeah. like there's always the one upper. Yeah. Oh, there, I thought there were four. I'm yeah. Like, now that yeah. oh, the seven. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, quality time, physical touch. And those are your five. Mm-hmm. So one thing that helped me was realizing that my wife and I's love languages weren't the same. That's it. Yeah. And that was really helpful. It is. And it's the same thing in leadership languages. Yep. There's, um, there's some leadership that's very like dictatorial and like iron fist. That's one end of the, end of the spectrum. There's some that's very laissez faire where you just kind of let everybody do what they want to do. And then there's in the middle where you have sort of like co-management or co-leadership. And then anything outside of that is just a variation on one of those three things. So if I'm leading you and you are very receptive to me getting the hand and I'm talking to you and we're going powerful, that's fine. But there will come a time in your life or a time in your day when maybe that doesn't work. So if I don't have the ability to have other languages as a leader, what do I just yell at you more? Clearly yep. it's not working. So I have to have that. And we'll talk about that tomorrow yep. night when I'm speaking, when we're, we're all talking, but that's what the reality. But does, does that mean that you're a bad person? No, that means that I'm a bad leader. And here's the part that people don't talk about. So having different love languages or different leadership capacities are important but there are some people that only have one. So they're one dimensional. There's some that maybe have two or three other ones that I mentioned. So maybe even if they are fluent in all three of those, that is still not enough because I have to be able to have the empathy to figure out in the heat of it, which is appropriate. I can't wait until after the fact it's too late. I have to be able to transition. So just like with uh, transitioning a weapon or going from a kicking range or a punching range or, or whatever it is, if I wait until all of a sudden you're grabbing me and taking me down, I'm like, oh, I should be worried about the clinch. It's too late. If you're there and you're still holding on to your M4 and they're holding and they're taking it from you, oh, I should go to my M9, it's too late. If I should go from my M9 to my, to my blade, it's too late. I have to have that empathy to be able to do all that stuff and feel it. And if I'm able to do that, that I'm the kind of leader that can be within any sort of dynamic because if I have a team and I know that one person exceeds the level until they're under pressure or that one person is a slacker until they're under pressure or one person doesn't communicate well with those three. Now there's so many different dynamics there, especially in leadership. Nobody talks about that because it's sticky, because it's hard, because it sucks and because you actually have to care about your team. And by caring about your team doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to give them a good day on Friday. No, it means that you actually care about what their characteristics are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, anticipate those things. Because if you're a, le- a leader, you know the objective before they do. So mm-hmm. you're like, man, I know John's going to rise to the occasion on this. I know that Mary may not. And I know that Jim is just going to do enough to get by. So I have to know all of those things in real time yep. before it happens. That's why leadership uh, uh, is tough. Yeah, being an empathetic leader. Uh, and one little thing, if somebody wants to jump online, go look at the DISC theory, D-I-S-C. Yeah. You can take one of those little quizzes, and it'll kind of tell you there's like the direct, conscientious. There's different right. things that kind of tell you what you are and who you mesh well with. And then having that awareness will help you communicate to to have more tools and awareness. And like we're talking about, you have a lot of tools, 
that is going to help you reach your end state, your end goal. Right. And your tool that you like to use might be a hammer and you might not have a nail that needs hammering. So this is, it's a cool thing to check out and looking at different ways to, 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 to flank, if you will. Right. And so you can reach your end goal. And the thing too, is we were mentioning Tom Bilyeu before. Mm-hmm. He is a great example of an empathetic leader because just because you have empathy doesn't mean you let somebody step on you. It means you're putting everybody on the same page. They all know the, the, the mission. Um, when I was preparing to release my book, my deadline got pushed up two weeks. So I had a, a good team that was knew where we were going and I trusted them. So I had to do two days worth of work, two, two weeks worth of work in two days. So I'm trying, now I have to trim the fat. Now all the stuff that I thought I was going to have time to edit, I can't. So I have my editor in the room with me, war rooming as I'm going. I'm emailing stuff to her as she's going through it. My photographer and um, graphic designers are coming in talking to me. And I'm, I'm the strong leader. But after about 26 hours of writing, mm. I started getting tired, right? And I start getting cranky. And I've already sent them home because you send the team home because you're the leader. And then when they come back, like I'm falling apart, man. I'm like, man, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. And I'm like doubting myself. And my team tells me, go lay on the couch, lay down, get an hour, a couple hours of sleep. We're going to keep working. And they nudge me in the right direction. So in the end, my own leadership is what saved me. And may, I, we actually were finished an hour before our deadline. And that's only because I had a team that bought in, that actually cared, that knew where we were going. If I had just said, this is the vision, you do what I tell you to do. Those people, you can't pay those people enough to want to stay around and work and clear their schedule for the next two days to help your dream come true. It's crazy what a little bit of respect goes. It's weird, right? It's almost How like that. people people should know about this, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite quotes? Man, it depends on what day. There's a million right? quotes. Yeah, I, I know it's a, it's a hard question. Yeah, I love I love Marcus Aurelius's quotes. I love the one that comes to mind. Um, if it is endurable, then endure it. I love Victor Frankl's idea of between stimuli and response, there is this gap in which we have choice. Uh, I love the stuff in the Tao Te Ching, the, the concept that if I continually sharpen my knife, it goes dull. I, I love even like some of the, the concepts in Thick Face Black Heart where they say things like, if I don't have to trust you, I can always trust you. Even the Machiavelli mentality. Machiavelli gets a bad rap because everybody thinks that that's the way he thought. But you have to remember that Machiavelli's book, The Prince, was published five years after he died. So it was more of a cautionary tale more than anything else. And it's important for us to read that. If I don't understand Thick Face Black Heart, if I don't understand Machiavelli, and you and I are like moral men, if we don't understand that there are people that think like that, we will get victimized by it. If we assume that everybody else is moral, then we will be victimized by a person who is immoral. So it's important to understand all these things, almost like with martial arts where I have a contingency throw, you know, in C-Lot, or if I have a, an alternate weapon that I can go to, if I don't have all those things put together, then I'm going to be, be caught by them. But uh, yeah, those are some of the quotes that come to mind. Um, how about, and I'm not going to ask you your favorite ones, but let's just say some of your, your favorite books to recommend to people. I've, uh, I already mentioned Thick Face Black Heart. Yeah. I, that's a book you need to read. I know it's an older book for some people. Uh, Machiavelli and the Prince is phenomenal. Anything by Marcus Aurelius, which the only one that was really written by him was 
meditations. Uh, but there are so many books that are out there now. Anything by Robert Greene, um, 48 Laws of Power is tremendous. Laws of Human Nature is tremendous. I love Holiday. Any of his work is fantastic. Tim Ferriss's stuff in, in so much is the idea of being specific about what you're wanting to accomplish. Um, you know, Goggins book is amazing as well too. So another book that I've, I recommend recently is, uh, by Christopher Lockhead. It's called niche down or niche down, however you want to verbalize it. But, um, it talks about being able to really accentuate the things that make you unique instead of trying to just get caught up in this, this wave of everything else that's saturated. He was saying that people, if you can own a niche in your market or create a niche, you will get three quarters of that income. And then anybody that comes in that market trying to, uh, to, to get it from you is fighting for the last 25% of the pie. So while that comes to entrepreneurship, that's great, but it also comes into what we're doing with training physically. What, what are we doing with martial arts training? What are we doing with the intention behind that? So that it can be applied anywhere. Is it hard for you to, to uh, articulate or define what mindset coaching is? It's not hard for me. It's hard for the person to understand. If I just say I'm a business coach, then if they're a person that doesn't have trouble with their business, they don't think I can do anything for them. If I say that I'm a, um, a life coach, which I don't like that term, um, people are like, oh, this is a person that's going to say, so what do you really want? Uh, a mindset coach is a person that helps you fix your mindset. So if your business is crushing it and your personal relationships suck, we, we work on that. If your personal relationships are great, but you cannot get your business in order, we work on that. Like I said, with those five circles, almost like the Ikigai, there's always an area that we can improve on. Yeah. And if we improve in one area, it exponentially increases everything else that we have. So it's a synergy of one plus one equaling three. Because once you can fix some of those problems, then it translates to everything else. I want to throw another book out there, The Gift of Adversity. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that should be like the first one you recommend. <laughs> I can't be, I don't like being that yeah. guy. Like, I got yeah, you. Yeah. So The Gift yeah. of Adversity, Overcoming Paralysis and Pain to Find Purpose. So it's on Amazon and you can get it uh, to Kindle as well. Amazon Prime. It'll get there in two days. Yeah. Uh, are you allowed to talk much at all with like how, uh, what you and Kenny and, and Josh have going on and what you guys are building? Yeah, we're, that's what we're doing tomorrow night. We're talking to kind of like about that leadership that I just pointed out. We're talking about Josh Mons and, and Kenny Kane. Yeah. And these guys are incredible, obviously. Um, love them both truly. Um, I'm tired of seeing people that talk about leadership that are just vague. If you're telling me you need to build trust, you need to build communication. That's right. I got it. What does that look like? What does it look like whenever I've lost trust with an employee? Can I get it back? Do they deserve to get it back? Am I worthy of getting it back? All those kind of things. So what we're doing is we're actually taking the experiences that we've had, not just from the military, not just from our um, mortal experiences, but in leadership and then going through because the people that we're helping are the ones that are like, nobody talks about this stuff. Nobody talks about how it's sticky. It can't just be a, a one day seminar. And now I give you these protocols and these SOPs. And now all of a sudden you put it down, you write it down, we check the box. There's a lot more to it. And if people want to, to get the change in their business, they're talking about, th this is what it takes. Like I, I mentioned, Tom Bilyeu, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, all these people, they had this really fantastic ability to, to leverage adverse adversity and empathy simultaneously to create this environment that allows people to really flourish. And that's what produces the kind of results. 
unfortunately with business, people are saying, okay, how much does this cost? What's the ROI? When do we see the return? The return's absolutely there, but to be able to quantify it into your P&L right now, that's when you have to explain to them where you're going with it and what they want. Because unfortunately, some of them don't even know what they want. Um, when you are having your own like private moments and you're having some mental chatter in your head that is like that, that, that self-doubt and a little hater that sits on your shoulder, because um, we all have it as part of the natural dichotomy of thought. Yeah. What are some ways that you replace those thoughts? I usually just let them come and go. I try to have that Zen idea of thoughts are visitors and you don't have to hold on to them. Uh, I recently had a, a woman on my show, um, Sarah Centrella, and she says that she calls it um, mental ping pong. And people talk about it with uh, different kinds of therapy also, but if you have a negative thought, if you can immediately just stop that cycle, do that pattern interrupt and do something, say something opposite, you can do that. Uh, for me, I actually just ask myself if it's true. Like, is it really true? Ah, you didn't push yourself as hard as you could. Is that really true? If it is, then I really can't be upset with the thought. Um, if I know that I did push myself as much as I could, because that's the thing too, like if we PR something, right? Like our Murph time or whatever, our capacities will constantly fluctuate. You're going to have good days and bad days. You're going to have sleep deprivation. You're going to have low calories, different days like that. But what is important is that whatever our capacity is, whatever that 100% is, that we try to give that. I mentioned yesterday that the human animal does not do moderation well. So I am better off attempting to give 100% of what I have than trying to cattle it back and say, oh, I'll get 85%. Because we have no idea where that is. Even if I'm trying to give 100%, if you were able to measure it somehow magically, it may only be 85%. But the intention behind it is what's the most important thing. Because our physical capacity, our mental capacity, our emotional capacity will always be in flux. Uh, I have so many more questions, but I'm going to try and, try and minimize it here so we can get the wrap up. <laughs> um, if you were to like not do any more mindset coaching, if you were to shut down your Instagram, your, your Facebook, uh, uh, your website, if you were to write like one last post, what do you think it would say? I think it would say what I've been saying this whole time. I try to slay the same dragon every day to give people different perspectives. But I just want people to understand that adversity is a gift because adversity does not guard anything that is not worthy of possessing. So if you claim that you want something, so many people say, I want to be stronger. What I would say is then you're ask, actually asking yourself for more adversity. So you can't have one without the other. So decide what do you want. Do you want mediocrity or do you want adversity? And the reality is the worst adversity in the world is mediocrity. And comfort. Absolutely. Um, and I say that because it's going to also it's going to piggyback into my closing here. But there's also another component that this is a, a collateral. Um, thing that I've learned through this is that there is something about going through adversity and someone being in their own type of pain that makes them reach out and want to help others. 
It's kind of fascinating to me. There's, there's two different sides to it. Um, if you learn the lesson from adversity, you will. If you, if you learn the lesson from adversity, your, your empathy will increase exponentially. But there are some people that never get the lesson from it, and they just be, stay a victim. And those are the people that are mean, that are bitter, that are hard to be around, that no matter what happens, they one-up you. It's a, to them, adversity is a competition. So if you talk about how bad your day was, well, you didn't hear how bad my day was, and then they'll go on and talk about how they've been wrong their entire life, and they'll, it's a glorified victim mentality. And that person you can't help. They have to find it on their own. It's almost like inception. So if they don't learn the lesson, they will stay compressed by adversity, and it will arrest any development in them. But I agree with you. If you learn the lesson from adversity, your empathy will increase tremendously. Like you said, if you've fallen down and somebody helped you up, you'll always remember them. And if you've fallen down and you see somebody on the ground, you remember what it was like because it sucks. We are only as strong as adversity we overcome, right? I absolutely agree. Absolutely. Yeah, which I just shared on the, the CCUA Instagram page, yeah, that you. photo of you, which I really think is awesome. Thank so you. Obviously, I, I posted it. And something we haven't talked about, Epic Achiever, your podcast, right? Um, yeah. They just throw that into the google or uh, on iTunes and it'll iTunes. pop up. Yeah, it's a number one new and noteworthy podcast. Um, and I, I tried the, the Epic Achiever. I like that more than uh, my TEDx talk is called The Gift of Adversity. My book is called The Gift of Adversity. But I want to highlight the idea that anybody that I've ever seen that's gone through any, if they've had any high level of success, they usually go through a hell of a lot of adversity, much more than people know. Mm-hmm. So the people that I, I get on there are people that are crushing it in their industry. If they're an Olympic athlete, if they're an entrepreneur, whatever it is, and then we unpack their hardship. So I go through, I ask them a little bit at the very beginning, and we find out where they're an expert in, they give a lot of value with that. But the last half of it, we're just unpacking that hardship. So we understand the hardship that Tom and Lisa Bill, you went through and those things. And that's what it is. That I, I wanna accentuate the idea that adversity is inevitable, but I also want to show that if you can push through it and if you can learn from it, you can achieve amazing things. And if you choose not to, that's your choice as well. But if you want to achieve something that's truly exceptional and epic, embrace it, man. Uh, well, I very much appreciate your, your insight, your sensitivity, your empathy, um, your level of service, uh, and your, your dedication to continued knowledge. Obviously, it's a, it's a constant growth oh, process, regardless of our age or regardless of what happens to us, because we don't always, we don't control those, no. right? And continuing to challenge yourself, um, because you went through that, doesn't mean that that's it. And I I have that, and now everything in my life is based off of that, which was several years ago. Yeah, right. To keep pushing and keep challenging yourself. Um, maybe write another book, you're doing the podcast, you're hustling, you got the stuff going with Kenny and Josh. So that's another thing that I like to see because it's like you don't want to say, well, is that it? Is that all you are? Right? No, it's just that was one that was one little stage. That was one little part. Yeah, I've I've always liked the idea of the the Greeks with Arte or like the samurai, they were very multifaceted. So, you know, even though a samurai could kill you, he could still write a poem he could still do a tea ceremony he could still do all these things and 
Gurudin Asanto, Bruce Lee's protege, says that the only difference between a barbarian and a warrior when they swing a weapon is the intention behind it and the beliefs by which they live their lives. And I think that's a great way to, to kind of sum it up. There's a phrase in the Tao Te Ching I want to show you once we're done recording Yeah, that I totally resonate with. Sorry, listeners. No, that's one of my favorite books. I love it. Yeah, it's a fascinating book. Thanks to, to Ryan Holiday for hooking me up with that thing. Um, uh, that's another book to go check out that we put on our list. Yeah, Tao Te Ching, Thick Face, Black Heart. All those are fantastic. Yeah, I tell you what, for the listeners that you guys are listening and you're on the go, uh, I'll go back and re-listen to the stuff and make a list and put it on the, the, the show notes and um, try and make it easy for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Along with links to uh, your social media stuff and your website, marcusreliusanderson.com. Mm-hmm. Can't forget that. Yeah. Uh, you got merchandise going yet? Just my book right now. I, I've had people ask me about merchandise, um, but I want to kind of do one thing at a time. Yeah, yeah, good. Right now. Um, th- the tendency for most people is to get a TEDx talk or a book and then do their podcast right behind it, but uh, I want to make sure that I knew what I wanted to say and who I was trying to say it to in the process. Yeah. Again, that's just another cultural thing that is doesn't mean you have to do it that way. Nope, not at all. Right? That's a weird, weird a thing to be aware of. Many paths at the top of the mountain, absolutely. Yep. Well, thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored. Uh, and to close, I want uh, you know, going through and finding little quotes and stories and, and pulling things out from stuff that you've done has been kind of difficult. But I think uh, uh, the one I want to go with is um, I've used before in the grief episode, but it's also super important because we talked about the stages of grief and um, adversity. And it's from Elizabeth Kuba Ross. And she says, the most beautiful people are those that have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have still found their way out of the depths. These people have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. So thank you for listening. And remember, health is wealth, vulnerability is strength, and strength is a choice. You are the master of your fate. You are the captain of your soul. So get up strong, help others get up strong, and be unconquerable. I'm Scott McGee, and this is The Sisu Way.